0: If you have a Bible nearby or whatnot let's go together to Matthew chapter four if you don't have one there may be one in the in the pew rack deal in front of you, or we'll put them on the screen. As I said at the beginning, this is our third week in this uh, passage of Scripture where Jesus and Satan go toe-to-toe, so to speak, and, uh, and so I don't, I don't know if this has been beneficial to you or not. Um, it has been very beneficial to me to study. Um, it's it's kind of just been interesting because I've never really spent a lot of time in these texts or really thinking about it uh, too much. And I mean, really, like up until this point, like I always knew kind of what happened and that Jesus resisted and that he uh, quoted scripture at the devil and those kinds of things, but never really looked at what the devil was offering and how Jesus kind of countered that and what we can learn. And so um, we're going to look at the third account in a little more detail, but also to kind of just be a general overview as well. Uh, just some things that we learn about the nature of temptation. So let's, uh, let's read, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. A couple of things that we've kind of covered in the last few weeks that I want to review uh, in case you missed it or whatever. Um, and I kind of just wrote down five things, and there are more than five. These are the kind of five major things that we've talked about on Sunday nights, kind of exposing just the very nature of temptation into sin, you know, um, and regardless of the source, so regardless of, you know, in this case, of course, Satan himself has come to tempt him. Um, Satan is not omnipresent, you know, so, uh, there are, are times when temptation is not because the devil is like on your, like right shoulder, you know, whispering something to you. He doesn't show up in person, but like there are, there is that demonic, you know, the, the, there is all that that's going on of him and his angels and all that kind of stuff. But it's always, everything can't be attributed there. Um, sometimes temptation comes in that route, but some, a lot, probably more often than that, it comes just from our own you know, flesh, our own leftover, uh, like self-reliant tendencies, everything being about us that happens when you're born into that. And before you come to know Christ... Everything is about you, and so we have—we still have that mind that needs to be renewed. You know, we still think like we did, and so sometimes it's just our own flesh. We're like, "Hey, yeah, that sounds fun," you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then there are times when, when the you know the world, as as Christians would call it, um, really just the attitude of the attitude that's created from the fall of humanity, um, not only in your, like, individual life, but also... I uh, love that song. I'm sorry. It's quite all right. I thought you were no, that's a good song, man. Hey, I'll touch you later. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hook me up with that mp3 later, because I don't have that one. That uh, that would be awesome. Um, so not... But, but so the fall of humanity has impacted the way that... that Every person is, and it's also impacted the earth itself, and our relationships with God and with each other and with ourselves. Everything's just really, really messed up, and that kind of forms this attitude that comes our way. So that's why when you, when you watch TV or you go see movies, you listen to music, not that song of course, but other songs, uh, it's just kind of all about like you and what's going to make you feel good in the moment and all that kind of stuff. It's just that whole attitude of being separate from God, that where you, cre- you, are, you are God, basically, um that flesh, the demonic, all that kind of stuff is is like coming our way, and there's that's where that temptation comes from in different different situations, different sources, but regardless of the source, I think there's some things that we learn about the nature of sin and the nature of temptation towards sin that we can learn from um, here's uh, There are five of them, so if you like notes, there you go. Um, the first one that we see is is vulnerability that there's Temptation, like, just magically is there when you're somehow vulnerable. Um, And so, we talked about this situation. Here's Jesus in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days, incredibly hungry, okay? He's all by himself. Uh, So, there were physical uh, vulnerabilities or emotional vulnerabilities or social. You know, he hadn't talked to anybody for 40 days, uh, all that kind of stuff. Nobody would know, kind of, that aspect of things. Um, and even like he's not spiritually vulnerable cause he's been praying for 40 days, but there are times when we find ourselves vulnerable spiritually as well. And so vulnerability plays into temptation. And so we cannot be clueless about that. We can't be totally shocked when we are tempted to do things when we're alone that we would never be tempted to do when we are with other people and also vice versa. While there, while there are some packs of friends where you're tempted to do things uh, with this group that you would never be tempted to do with this other group or, you know, whatever. Um, and so there are just different kinds of vulnerabilities uh, there socially, and sometimes you're just sad or you're lonely or you're, like, really keyed up, you know, or whatever. Um, there's just so much that's there, and so we've talked about that and seen that, that in times when we are somehow vulnerable, temptation just conveniently kind of knocks on that door sometimes. Uh, so that's the first one. The second thing that we've seen as the area of, of there's a control issue. Um, that Satan comes to Jesus and said, hey, turn these stones into bread. You know, prove who you are. Um, there's some control there. Satan is really saying like, hey, God, if God's not going to feed you, just feed yourself. You know. And Jesus essentially says, no, my food comes from, from God, not from you. I don't even feed myself. But temptation and sin, like a part of it is this, like, man, you just, just take the reins, you know. Take control of this situation and, and make it turn out the way that you want it to. Because, you know, maybe God isn't really uh, trustworthy in that. So you take control. And so there's a control factor with temptation, and so um, that's something that we've seen there. Uh, the third thing that we see in the first two, uh, first two accounts, Satan leads with, "If you are the son of God, then do this." Um, the third one, there's there is an identity issue that's there for us. Um, in like when when temptation comes our way. There's kind of this this, this uh, debate going on sometimes in our in your mind, um, and so you're like, okay, I'm a saint, I'm not a sinner. That's the, so that's the true identity, um, but sometimes you're like, man, if I'm a saint, then why do I why do I kind of want to do this or why do I keep struggling with this or whatever. So instead of like sometimes relaxing and like okay, I'm a I'm just a saint who struggles with this sin, sometimes we we kind of be like, Well man, maybe maybe I'm not really a saint, or maybe maybe the whole identity thing isn't really the case. Or sometimes, like we talked about last week, sometimes the thing is like, well, like you are a saint and like you didn't make yourself a saint, like you didn't save yourself, so you can't unsave yourself, you can't de-saint yourself. Right, So how about you just do whatever and like, you're already forgiven, right? Like it's done. right? Jesus, didn't Jesus already die for this sin that you, let's face it, you're about to do this. You know? Didn't He already die for that? So if He died for it, then what's the harm, right? So there's, there's this identity crisis sometimes with temptation where, where like, we're just confused about who we are and whose we are and where we are and all that kind of stuff. And so Satan comes after that aspect of him, trying to get Jesus like, oh, yeah, if you're the son of God, then not you prove it. And, and temptation comes after our identity as well to try to, to lead us into behavior that contradicts who we actually are. So when you, are, when you and I are engaged in some sort of sinful activity or sin, whatever it is, we're acting in a way that contradicts who we really are. And so there's a dissonance that's there. There's no integrity in that at all, um, but temptation just like really just preys on that identity issue. So that's the third one that we talked about. The fourth one um, is is twisting the truth about God, about His character, about His nature, about His trustworthiness, about His faithfulness, about how He feels about you. And so what Satan does, he, you know, in the second one, that's what we talked about last week, Satan is like, okay, so in the first time, I tried to get him to turn stones to bread, he quoted scripture at me, so I'll quote scripture at him this next time around. Because I know the Bible too. So Satan quotes the Bible, but he misquotes it. Well, he quotes it accurately. He twists the meaning of it. So he quotes Psalm 91 and says like, man, throw yourself off this building, because according to Psalm 91 the angels, like, have to catch you. So you throw yourself off the building, the angels, like, it forces God's character to send the angels to catch you, and then, man, everybody's going to see, and you're going to become famous, and all this kind of stuff, and, like, maybe, maybe that's good enough. Maybe that's enough for you. Well, Psalm 91 isn't isn't a thing that says, just go jump off a building, and God, the angels have to catch you. That's not what it means. So he's twisting The scriptures, the truth about God, um, he's implying that God is not trustworthy in in the the plans that he has carried out. And so there's this effort with temptation to twist the character of God, the intentions of God, the faithfulness of God, all this stuff about God into something that they are not. And that's why that mindset of saying like, well, God has to forgive me, so I guess I can just keep doing this or whatever, that's why it's so incredibly dangerous. Because the temptation really is to not look at grace and love and forgiveness and Jesus and all these things as they really are. It's an invitation out of reality into this false reality that's there. And so those are kind of, the, like kind of the four big ideas that we have talked about so far. And so uh, when we look at this third account, we're going to add the fifth one. Um, and here's what, here's what it is. And I was thinking about this and thinking about this thinking about this. And um, it really just makes a lot of sense. And I looked at my ESV study Bible and it said the same thing. And I felt so good. And I was like, yes, smartest guys on the planet and Adam's app all agree because he he does the website, and so uh, they all agree, and with me, <laughs> awesome. Um, or I agree with them, or maybe I read it and forgot it and thought it was my own idea. Whatever. <laughs> Regardless, um, here's the fifth one: is that sin and temptation? It's really it's just a shortcut. That's all it is. It's a shortcut. And so why do we why do why do we take a shortcut? You always take shortcuts when you're like in traffic or you're like whatever. And at, the, at the, the very core of a shortcut is some kind of avoidance, right? So traffic's backed up, so you take a shortcut. You're trying to avoid the traffic. Um, you're, you're trying to avoid wasting time in traffic. You're trying to hurry up. You're trying to, to avoid being late. You're trying to... Um, Sometimes the nature of shortcuts, especially with guys, is like, like, oh, I know a shortcut. You know, like, ooh, you know maps. You know, like, how impressive are you? Uh, but there's just, there's just something very, uh, it's just kind of how it is. And it's not all evil. So if you're like shortcut king of mid-city, you're getting around with it, that's great for you. I'm so glad that you know the shortcuts. Uh, I'm not saying that taking a shortcut in traffic is evil. What I am saying, though, is that we can learn something about traffic shortcuts That applies to sin and temptation. So you're trying to avoid something. There is control. There is, like, all that stuff is in there, but there is an avoidance of something. Um, That is what sin is offering at the core of it. Satan offers Jesus to get all the power and all the glory without having to go to the cross. That's the avoidance. Just avoid the cross. I'll give you all the good stuff. You get to avoid the bad stuff. And all you got to do is worship me. Okay. Sin offers an avoidance of suffering. That's what it comes down to. Now, I know that suffering means, means one thing here in South Louisiana. It means something very, very different in the Middle East. It means something different in a in a, a country that's close to Christianity where they have to gather in secret and you could be killed for having a Bible and those kinds of things. So I, I understand that there's a difference when we say suffering. Um, and and there's, no, there's really no, like, I know, like, what's one of the jokes that people say now? It's like, oh, first world problems, you know? It's like, we live in the first world. I mean, uh, uh, that's where we are. That's where we are. And so, yeah, our problems are first world problems. And yeah, you compare them to a third world problem, and then like, we should feel really, really dumb. But God has us here, and we're living life here in this culture, and we're battling the same, the same temptation, the same sins, that the root, the same exact stuff. Uh, just the price that's paid, maybe it looks a little bit different here and there. And so you might not think that you're, like, a temptation to sin is really, like, maybe you're like, no, suffering's not the right word. Um, But, you know, maybe it is. Let me give a couple of examples. Um, Sin offers an avoidance of suffering. Greed and materialism are offering an avoidance of not uh, not having to deal with, like, not having what you want in the moment. So that's what it does. Greed says... Take all the money that you can, keep it all for yourself, materialism, buy all the things that you want, buy the latest and the greatest and the biggest and all that kind of stuff. And you're avoiding the suffering of having to sit back and not have that stuff. The stuff that you want, so that you have to have. So it is avoidance of suffering. It's not third world suffering. It's not even really legitimate any world suffering, but in our minds, that's kind of how it is. You sit back and you're like, man, it would just kill me to not have that. And so sin offers you a way around it. Say, so, hey, you don't have to sit there and like, not have cool stuff. How about you just, uh, like, here, that's the offer? Just be greedy and be materialistic. And you don't have to have that terrible pain of not having stuff. Now, it's silly, but it's real. Um, sin offers avoidance of suffering. The sin of, uh, of lust offers uh, the avoidance of that entitlement that a lot of people think you have to like physical desire. That's the offer. It's like, man, you don't... You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to be this or this or whatever. It it offers you a way around that kind of suffering. You don't have to be sad, lonely. Your life hadn't turned out like you thought or whatever. Here's a uh, a controlling sin that you can do. And that's the offer is you don't have to be any of that kind of stuff here. Let's just avoid that. And all you got to do is lust. Easy. Um... A lie. Let's say, let's say that you're like, like lying is like one of your things. You're just like, man, I, just, I don't know why. Like, I, just, I just lie. Lie to my boss. Lie to my friends about stupid stuff. Lie to my spouse. Lie to my kids. Lie to my community group. Lie to whatever. Well, the offer of that sin is your, the avoidance of the suffering, in your mind, of the consequences of dealing with the truth. You say, man, I don't want the consequences of telling the truth... And so temptation and sin comes in. It's like, oh, here, I'll just offer you this. Just lie. You can avoid all that weirdness of telling the truth. Just lie. There it is. People who love to gossip or just like, just dig, like they cannot, they hear something's going on, they got to know, got to know, got to know, got to know. Press and press and press and press. The thing is, okay, well, you're avoiding... The suffering of not being in the loop. Isn't that just the worst? Well, look, don't, you don't have to be out of the loop. Here's the offer. Just gossip, be a gossip and dig and press and wonder and speculate and cause strife and cause divisions. Do all that kind of stuff. And you will not have to suffer by being out of the loop. Let's see, what else? Glut, gluttony of, of anything. Gluttony of food, gluttony of alcohol, gluttony of relationships even. Um, You're just escaping into a substance, escaping into a person. You're saying, you don't have to deal with the unhappy parts of your life or the the things that need to be refined. or You don't have to suffer through those things. Here's the offer. Just be a glutton in whatever it might be. And then you don't have to deal with all that stuff. Just avoid it. By taking me up on this offer. The idolatry of, of a person. That's the sin that's offered is make your spouse an idol, make your kids an idol, make whoever an idol. And it's because that's easy. It's easier than following faithfully after Jesus. So it's like, why suffer? Why suffer following the Lord? And like, what if what if He messes with your life, you know? Or what if, what if He makes you like witness to somebody, or like do something weird? What if He makes you force you to be a missionary or <laughs> whatever? Like, you just you don't have to avoid all that. Like, so here's the offer: just just make an idol out of your spouse or your kids or your whatever, and you can avoid the suffering that God might call you to, because following Jesus is not always easy. It's simple, but it's not always easy. So I don't know if the pattern is clear or not. But it's constantly, constantly coming our way. Sin and temptation are constantly offering us a way to avoid some sort of suffering. Something unpleasant, something that we don't like that much, might make us uncomfortable, something mysterious, that we aren't sure what the outcome is going to look like, we aren't really sure what God's going to do, we aren't sure whatever. So to avoid all that stuff, here's all you got to do, just engage in this. Plus it'll probably be really fun. And all of this is really just idolatry. That's all that it is. There are all these things that we are wired up by God, created by God, for Him to supply. like For Him to be our Lord, our provider, our shepherd, our prophet, our priest, our king, everything about that. And temptation is really just a way of trying to find something else besides Him. And that's what we have to deal with. That's what we have to come to terms with. And what's funny is that the shortcut to avoid suffering, it only leads to more suffering. Like that's the real, like that's like the mind meld of this whole thing is that you think that this shortcut is going to get you there faster and avoid suffering, but you find that it only gets you to more suffering faster. And so behavioral sin and these patterns of sin and all we have, like it's just it's this continual shortcut that only just puts us like it just compounds and compounds and compounds and and just builds this big mess. And for some reason, a lot of times we're like, we just don't really see it that way. We're like, oh I'm gonna try this again, but the outcome's gonna be different. It's like, no, it's not. It's the nature of sin. That's what's what we've been exposing, is that's the how the vulnerability and control and and identity and the twisted nature of God and the shortcuts and all these kinds of things fit together. It's, it's just complete chaos. And So some of what this passage does, it helps us to see what's really going on. And so I was, was kind of going over some notes today and been thinking a lot, like in our community groups, we've been going through Isaiah 53 and Verse six that verse six says that um, all of us are like sheep, like every one of us are like sheep um, who have who have turned to our own way, and that like that's like such a great synopsis of what sin and temptation are all about. It's about turning to your to your own way. Now, I was thinking about Psalm 23 and how it says He, he uh, leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So I asked Nate if you put that on the screen. Um, he leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Okay, so God is the one doing the leadership. You are the one being led. Paths of righteousness, okay, like that's... We've talked about this before, but like He's... He's leading you like like you're facing each other, and he's like like leading you forward like this. And the path of righteousness is he's showing you how to put one foot in front of the other in a way that is you're living consistently with your holiness. So your actions, your thoughts, your motives, like all this kind of stuff. He's just showing you step by step by step. Exactly, exactly how to live your life. Like That's the good shepherd leading you forward. That's what he does with us. So he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Now, don't get me wrong. It is, it is for our healing and for our peace and for our good. Absolutely. But David had realized that, that all the healing and peace and goodness in his life was to Point him and other people to the goodness of God. Like that's what he does. he's like, God's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna restore and heal this life, and I want everybody to see it, so that they know that I want to do the same thing for you. So that everybody knows and I want to do the same thing for everybody. So that all the glory goes to the Lord. And so he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's what he's doing. So. So what I asked Nate to do is to freeze this screen and then I, wanna, I just made up this like contrary deal on this other screen. Temptation and sin invite me down a shortcut of idolatry for my name's sake. So temptation and sin are doing the inviting. Okay, they're not leading and I kind of wrestled with that word. You know, I was like they don't really lead me down a path of idolatry. They invite me. Because in my, in my uh, giving in to sin and temptation, uh, I'm making that choice. Now, this is a choice as well. But this is, this is a different kind of choice. So when I am tempted to sin, I'm invited down a shortcut of idolatry. For my own name's sake. So instead of the path of righteousness that he's leading me down. My faithful, good, Psalm 23 shepherd. Um, there's this like shortcut over here. And the shortcut is some, some form of idolatry. It's some form of, let's avoid suffering and avoid pain. And avoid not knowing what God's going to do. And avoid having to trust. And avoid prayer and community. And avoid abiding. and avoid, Let's avoid all that stuff. All that The path of righteousness, man, it's... It's a lot of work and it's like, you know, whatever, and this is man, so easy and short, and you'll get there faster. You'll get to more suffering faster. No, you'll get there faster. And what's the what's the end result over over here? It's for God's namesake. For here, it's for your own namesake. Like it's for you, I like guess so that you can turn to your own way like a sheep. So that you can essentially be God, and so when you when we think about it in those there's two kinds of ways, and I don 't know if it's helpful it was helpful for me i don't usually see sin and temptation to sin in this in this way a lot of times like it's just like it's just, it's immediate, like it's not like this slow process, and it's not a lot of like weighing out my options and all that kind of stuff. There's just so much like instinct to it. And I want, I just want the Lord to, to break that, you know, like I want, I want that hesitation, I want that uncertainty, I want, uh, I want to laugh at, at this. But I, but I don't, you know. And maybe you don't either. I don't know. So God designed you to be led by Him down a path of righteousness for His namesake. And the devil and his demonic forces and your flesh and the world are all trying to get you to take a shortcut. to idolatry so that you can be awesome And so part of what we are doing as Christians is we're following after Jesus and he's teaching us to spot the difference between these two things he's teaching us so let me, let me close by giving three three quick things When you look at, at what the response that Jesus had, I think there's three things that give us a lot of insight in, in how, how to tell the difference, how to be discerning, how to see everything for what it is. The first thing is that he, he knows who he is in this moment, like in that temptation, in those moments. His identity is very secure. By the third encounter, Satan had chosen a new tactic, because he's like, that ain't working on this guy. First, two, if, first one, if you're the Son of God, do this. Second one, if you're the Son of God, do this. He's like, all right, waste of time. Jesus knows who he is. He knows when he was baptized, he heard the Father speak, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He saw the Spirit descend on him, apparently like a dove. Who knows? He, knows? he knows who he is. There's no identity crisis. He's secure in that. The second thing, he knows who the devil is. Look at what he says. Look at what he says in verse 10. He tells him, be gone, Satan. and calls him by his name. That's not a casual detail. He calls him by his name. Satan is the author of lies deception he knows the very nature of the one who is coming at him Now, like I said it's not always going to be Satan himself but maybe at times we would be beneficial to be able to sit there and spot a lie say that's a lie That whole song I just listened to is one complete lie. That whole romantic comedy that I think is the best movie ever is filled with things that are lying to me. When I walk in a certain place and my flesh just launches this complete attack of temptation, I know that my flesh is lying to me. I know that it's a shortcut. I know the nature of what's going on. I understand idolatry. I get it. I get it. I get it. Jesus understood the nature of who he was up against. And I think that's massive. And the last thing, the third thing, he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Third thing is, he, he knows who God is. He knows that God's the one and only. He knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He knows that Psalm 23 is real and true. He knows who he is. He knows exactly who he's up against. And He knows who God is. And in light of all those things, he's able to look at this offer for a shortcut and be like, Pfft. see ya. And I look at that, I'm like, that, that's what I want. Like, I want to be, like, be able to like, spot that stuff. I want to be so secure in who I am because I'm secure in who God is that whenever any form of liar were to come my way, whether it's from the world or my flesh or, the, or our enemy, that I'm just able to spot it and be like, uh, do you know who my God is? Do you know who my shepherd is? And do you know that he calls me his child? Do you know that he calls me holy and blessed? Do you know that I live in his kingdom? Do you get that? Do you understand that I live in that reality? And so the lies that are coming my way, are just, it's a joke almost. It's just the way you just laugh. Because I think you can read, be gone Satan as Jesus like furious, or I think you read as he's like, Seriously? Get out of here, man. I mean, I know who I am. I know who you are. I know who He is. And I believe that, that God has had us the last couple of weeks on Sunday nights and in our community groups We're just talking about some, just some deeper stuff maybe, some more difficult things that are incredibly practical, but uh, we don't like to sit around and talk about sin or the cross. The fact that we were guilty, and He took our guilt on Himself and gave us His innocence. We don't like to talk about that exchange. And although we should, Like it's ridiculous that we don't. But For some reason, these are difficult things. And so I think a part of what God is doing is I think He's helping us to see that He's freed us from sin. We have these battles with sins that are occurring, and in every single one, we now have this choice between between the path of righteousness and the shortcut to idolatry. I think, it, I think he's just saying, like, you have this choice in every situation. And I'm there to empower you. I've set you free from only being able to choose the shortcut. And now you have this, these two paths. I'm here to empower you and teach you how to consistently go path of righteousness, path of righteousness, path of righteousness. And I think a lot of it comes down to being really really, really good at keeping our, his identity, our identity, and the nature of temptation right in front of us. And keeping those high beams on that and always exposing those things for, for the reality of how all those things are. So that in light of who he is and who we are and in light of the lies that are coming our way, we're saying I'm going to choose the path of righteousness no matter what suffering it might bring my way. No matter what that means, I'm not going to lie. I can deal with the truth. No matter what it means, I'm not going to gossip and dig into this when I hear stuff's going on because I'm a, I don't have to be in the loop. No matter what it means, okay, so I won't have a lot of stuff, won't have a lot of money, won't have a lot of whatever. I'm not going to be greedy, materialistic. I'm not going to make an idol out of any person, any situation. I'm not going to be a glutton. I'm not gonna, those, those things are not going to happen. I'm not going to buy that shortcut in light of who God is. And yeah, what if I have to have some sort of weird first world suffering? It's completely worth it to have my Father look at me and say, well done. That's His desire for us. And so, let's pray and ask for His help to walk in it. Let's, let's stand together. Let me offer a prayer for us, and we're going to sing in response a little bit. God, I thank you for just your incredible patience with us, and seeing—I mean, seeing lies. Really, it should be something that we're getting better and better at spotting, and and I hope that that's the case. I think that's evidence for us that we're maturing and we're growing. And Lord, I know there's a difference between being able to spot the shortcut and actually choosing the path of righteousness instead. And so Lord, we need your help not only in discerning those shortcuts and those temptations that are offered to us, but we need, we need your help in, in choosing that path of righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that that you would help us to learn how to live in full view of who you are. That we would not lose sight of your goodness and your grace and your love. We would not lose sight of the fact that you're, you're trying to lead us down a path that is good for us. Even if there's suffering involved, it's good that you have a plan that is trustworthy for our lives. It may not always make sense, but we can trust you. God, that we would live in full view of your goodness, and we'd also live in full view of our identity in Christ. That we are no longer defined by our sins or our struggles. by any sort of statistical information about us. That we are defined by you. And you look at us and you say, mine. And that's all that we need. So Lord, we want to see sin as a shortcut. But greater than that, we want to see you offering us a path of righteousness that you not only lead us down, but you empower every step. So help us, Lord. We want to live in that reality. And pray, Lord, even as we sing that just some some things would fall into place in our minds. That our response in song that these would be prayers not only for us as individuals but corporately that we would join you in making us into the kind of people who who just laugh in the face of an offer of a shortcut because we know that you alone are God and only you do we serve